Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. It's the Fightful MMA Holy Smokes podcast with Showdown Joe and Sean Ross Joe, I am assuming that we are live. <laughs> What's up, ladies and gentlemen? October 3rd edition of the Holy Smokes podcast. Yours truly, uh, the unfortunately sick Showdown Joe. Give me a follow online at Showdown Joe. Of course, as always, joined by the infamous one himself. Two infamous Sean's on this episode. First, we'll have Sean Rossap, my co-host. Follow him at, at Sean Rossap. We'll hear from Sean Pearson a little later on in the show. Uh, had a conversation with him about a bunch of stuff from the mixed martial arts world. And there's lots to talk about on this uh, podcast here. UFC 216. We'll give our thoughts and predictions on some of the bouts. Of course, Kevin Lee versus Tony Ferguson headlining that event. Mighty Mouse, uh, uh, you know, will he make history uh, if, if he defeats Ray Borg in this one here? Derek Lewis versus Fabrizio Verdum. That's going to be a fun fight. Uh, before UFC 216, Bellator 184 will go down uh, in Thackerville, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Dantas will take, in, take on Caldwell. Steve Cazola. If you haven't read the story on Fightful MMA about Steve Cazola, I definitely recommend you check that out. Daniel Strauss is back. I mean, there's a name that uh, people were, were thinking so highly of, of last year or so, but he's back. He's back in action. Uh, Chuck Liddell and Chael Sonnen. We're going to get down to the bottom of this one uh, a little bit later on in the show. Of course, Conor McGregor uh, having a weird statement, did a, a Q&A overseas, so we'll get down. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look at some of that, uh, and then we'll see what happens from there. Lots to talk about, Sean Rossap. How are you, sir? I'm good. It says our stream isn't live. Don't care. We're running it as is, hoping everything <laughs> works out fine. If not, oh well. That's just the oh, way we're oh. going to do it. Because I'm not going to restart a stream that I've already started. So we're going to assume that this is the same uh, process that worked last time where we weren't actually live. And then after the video ended, it uploaded the whole thing. So that's the route we're going. Gotcha. Gotcha. Where do you want to start off? Man, well, we got this UFC show. I think we should probably talk about it. Yeah, well, it's kind of important considering that main event between Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee. Before I get to that, actually, did you see the news that George Foreman tweeted out that he wants to fight Steven Seagal? Yes. Yes, I did. 
Would you pay for that and watch that? Because I know I'd watch it. Yeah, hell yeah, I would pay for it and watch it. Also, we are live now. All right, who wins that fight? <laughs> oh, come on. Steven Seagal taught Anderson Silva the front kick. Good point. Very good point. He taught Anderson Silva pretty much everything he needs to know about the world of mixed martial arts and competing in the octagon. So nah, George Foreman that... would make him shit his pants harder than Gene LaBelle did. Good point. Didn't Gene choke him out? Didn't Gene choke out uh, Steven Seagal during a stunt? Him, uh, he made him crap his pants, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, unfortunately. Uh, interesting guy. I've met Steven twice uh, at UFC events, uh, and it didn't last long. I think I wanted to do an interview with him, and I was like, oh, geez, really? I don't know. He's just – he had those bright yellow glasses on. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, we're not doing this. Anyways, uh, he, is, Saturday, he is the Donald Trump of action movies. Take that however you want. Yeah. What did you make of Donald Trump's speech yesterday and then uh, now that he's in Puerto Rico today? I'm not allowed to talk about those types of things on air. Is that right? Yeah. Can I talk about them? Give my opinion? Or it's not a good idea. I, hey, Jimmy's the man you're answering to. All right. So then we're going to move on to uh, <laughs> the UFC event this weekend, UFC 216. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to talk about the whole Las Vegas thing only because I've been there so many times and yeah. stayed at Mandalay Bay I think eight times uh, during my tenure. And so it was something that hit close to home. Uh, but, yeah, Trump has nothing to do with anything. But uh, sad to see that all went down, and then hopefully they get to the bottom of it all. Uh, back to UFC 216. Tony Ferguson, Kevin Lee for the interim title. Will the winner, first of all, who's going to win this fight? Second of all, will they actually fight Conor McGregor to unify the title? So Conor McGregor, I thought, did a smart thing in saying that he was going to wait and see how this played out before making his next decision. Even though he called them fools, it was a ringing endorsement of his interest in this fight. And the thing is, Conor McGregor watches like everything. People don't realize yeah. that he does, but he does. He is, he is an MMA fan. This is a great fight. Now, I will say that the sooner that I don't have to hear a Tony Ferguson promo can't come quick enough because it's the same thing ever. He's like, here's what you need to do, son. You need to do this. You need to fight these guys. You need to come defend the belt. That's what you do. You need to come defend the belt or vacate it. That's what people do. And I'm like, man, come on now. Getting a little tired of this. Uh, but there's so much to this fight. Kevin Lee has incredible reach for his size. And I, that can't be understated as it pertains to him being a wrestler, Joe. Because he has that really strong power double, one of the best in the division's history. And his reach helps a lot with, with it. Because when you get that power double, so much of that is being able to clasp your hands and then push through. What we see him do with that power double often is not just drag somebody down or slam somebody down, but he'll pick them up and throw them down away from the cage. That way they can't use it to crawl up. They can't use it to roll off. They can't use a lot of that stuff. He, he's very open. Uh, they don't... It doesn't restrict his leverage when he tries to set up that rear naked choke. We see him go from the body lock a lot. And one of the things that I saw in uh, in his fights before is he doesn't just use his arms when he's taking somebody down. He'll use his feet, his thighs, his hips, everything to gain a little bit of leverage and basically teeter-totter somebody to where they are completely off base. It's a really nice combination of wrestling and judo that we don't see out of a lot of people. But his game is dragging you down and choking you out. He goes bicep and forearm on his uh, rear naked choke. He doesn't go across the throat. He goes carotid arteries. And he hides and disguises it really well because a lot of times, especially with Chiesa, you would see him 
blocking because he was afraid of getting punched in the face. And it's like Lee knew what was up. Now, that was a controversial ending to that fight, obviously. But when you don't know if a punch is coming or if somebody's going to snake the arm in, that says a lot about the guy that you're facing because he disguises it very well. That's what Lee does. Uh, The question is, does Lee have the experience to overcome a Tony Ferguson, Joe? That's the challenge because Tony Ferguson is going to bring that heat. Uh, Kevin Lee brings the heat no matter what, but Tony Ferguson, no matter what he does, always finds a way to win with the exception of one time. I mean, that fight, we can always go back and talk about that um, that Lando Venata fight uh, that, that kind of rocked him and, and really proved, holy smokes, like you cannot underestimate any opponent. Now, not, not that he's going to underestimate Kevin Lee, uh, but Kevin Lee has done a fantastic job getting to this point here despite that controversial victory versus Michael Chiesa. Kevin Lee showed a lot in a lot of his fights especially his heart being rocked. Um, who was it that he fought before uh, Michael Chiesa? Um, Francisco Trinaldo, who basically rocked him in that first round. Uh, Kevin Lee was in a lot of trouble in that fight, yet came back in the second round only to finish him off with a rear naked choke. So Kevin Lee's got heart, and his heart's going to be tested, in my opinion, against Tony Ferguson, who just finds a way of hurting people, uh, pounding them anywhere the fight's going to take place. Uh, like you said, for Kevin Lee, he's got to get that takedown and get the back. I mean, that, that, you could say that about any fight in mixed martial arts when you're talking about grapplers because uh, you want to get the back no matter what because that's a dominant position. But that's what Kevin Lee will likely be trying to face and try to overcome with Tony Ferguson, who has this impeccable way of moving forward and using his angles. But uh, the experience factor will go to Tony Ferguson. Uh, this is a guy that should have been fighting Habib Nurmagomedov, who arguably uh, can be considered the best in this division, You know, even though Conor McGregor is the champ. So it's a big step up in competition when you think about it for Kevin Lee. Will he be able to handle it? Of course he will. Will he emerge victorious? We'll see on Saturday night. So Tony Ferguson is an interesting fighter because he's got this lateral movement that deceives his opponents into thinking they have a much better range on him than they really do. And when they don't, they'll they'll miss a lot. But when they do, they close the distance and then they get shredded open with elbows. We've seen that time after time after time. And the thing about Tony Ferguson's elbows that I really like is how he steps through with them and almost delivers like a pro wrestling forearm smash. Like it's more on the outside of the elbow than it is the point of the elbow, which is really cool. Uh, He moves forward without compromising any power, which is something that a lot of fighters haven't really mastered. And it's hard to master because you're moving forward. Sometimes you're you're off base. Sometimes you're... You're uh, leading with the wrong foot, but he almost bounces. And when he bounces, he's able to plant, whether it's his left or right foot. He's ambidextrous in that that regards, and it puts his opponent off balance because they're either trying to back up or they're getting in the pocket. They're eating an elbow. His, His unpredictability and his ability to make other people unpredictable is something that you don't see a lot of in MMA, and... You can pull a Darce out of anywhere. Like some of the entries yeah. that I've seen him pull Darces out of are just really unbelievable. He adapts well and he doesn't restrict himself. If if he thinks an Imanari role is gonna get the job done, he's going for it. Like if he thinks that will put him up a little bit, he's diving for that leg. He'll cartwheel out of stuff and out of an Imanari roll or a cartwheel, he'll end up grabbing a Darce out of it. And I'm like, How how does that happen? 
Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I like the way he slides with his footwork as well uh, in the stand-up realm. He's got a nice little slide both ways, uh, which causes problems for opponents because it's not something they're used to seeing uh, in training unless you bring in a specific partner to replicate Tony Ferguson, which most guys will do anyways if they're going to be fighting him. Uh, the real question, though, is not just who's going to win this fight. Will they fight Conor McGregor next? Because it's an interim title fight for the right to fight the champion. That's technically what interim titles are for. So with the winner... Emerging victorious on Saturday night. I can't see there being a rematch. Anything could happen. Let's, let's, let's not kid ourselves. It is the UFC. It is mixed martial arts. But I cannot see a rematch after this one here. I think we'll see a winner come out. And then, you know, they've got to be smart afterwards. Call out Conor McGregor accordingly. But will they be? Will the next opponent for them be Conor McGregor? I think Nate Diaz is the next opponent for Conor McGregor. And you could do that as a lightweight title fight. I, I wouldn't because of the unpredictability of Nate Diaz. But... Yeah, yeah. Conor McGregor is a special character. Like, I mean, everybody says that he oh he's got to defend, he's got to defend, he's got to defend. He, he doesn't have to. He can do whatever the hell he wants. It's just the situation that he's in, and he has the power. He has the negotiating power, and he's utilizing it. I love that he said he was going to be watching this fight because that was the right thing to do for business. It was the smart thing to do. Hey, if you're gonna have 20-something famous UFC owners, and none of them are going to tweet about it. At least the, the champion is. So, Yeah, uh, absolutely correct. Um, Kyler James, just on the live chat. By the way, guys, live chat, top part of your screen. Uh, we'll try and get to some of your comments uh, as, we, uh, as we get there. Tomasa Mark says, Nate doesn't deserve a title shot. I don't think anyone on this on this show right now disagrees with you but unfortunately it is the money fight uh, for Conor McGregor and for the UFC that's the bottom line um, Kyler James says Tony Ferguson comes off as a real douche yeah those promos man it's like when he was on Fox and he was telling Kevin Lee like who he needed to fight and what he needed to do I was like man it doesn't work it's, I'm not buying yeah. it like it, it wasn't good. Also, the the funniest part of that interview was Kevin Lee saying, can I get a real journalist in here? No, you can't, because <laughs> Fox Sports fired them all. Yeah. Uh, who do you think is winning Saturday? Because this is a – to us, this is a big fight. It's not going to be a big fight to casual fans or anything like that, but this is a real high-level fight. Big time. I think Tony Ferguson does emerge victorious. I think he's going to win this fight. Yourself? You know, for it's hard for me to go against Tony Ferguson, but somehow I think Kevin Lee gets it done. Wouldn't surprise me either way. But, but then again, it wouldn't bad. shock me in the least to see to see him get Darsh choked. And I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Lee gets that. Re well, yeah, I got what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I mean, anything can happen. It's high level. It's high-level mixed martial arts, and hopefully it's not a boring fight because they begin to negate themselves and they don't take risks. Uh, it is five rounds. Don't be surprised if they, you know, they've got to pace themselves. Yeah. Obviously, it's five minutes. It's not going to be um, you know, something they're basically used to at three rounds for the most part uh, and to compete. Now, they both have competed in five-round fights, but at the same time, Lee Akiso was five rounds, right? Yes. Yes, okay. So there's a bit of pacing that's going to be required, uh, but at the same time... You hope that they don't risk it and, you know, don't wait till the fourth or fifth round to do something. So I'm hoping that these guys, you know, not, not that they, they, you know, 
go absolutely ballistic the minute the referee steps out of the way, but put on a good fight uh, because they've got to make a case to themselves. To you know, I, I joked around with something I mentioned on Twitter regarding Max Holloway today. I said, I, you know, Max Holloway says he wants to move up to 155 pounds uh, to steal Connor's thunder, and I said all he's really doing is remaining relevant in these fake Connor McGregor rankings as to who's going to be fighting Connor next. Right, so you've got to stay relevant there because Max Holloway's throwing his name in the mix. Um, I mean, Habib Nurmagomedov was the guy that I thought was going to get that fight. Um, Nate Diaz is the name that, <coughs> excuse me, Nate Diaz was the name that Conor McGregor mentioned. Of course, you got the winner of Lee Ferguson. So there's a bunch of guys that are out there that are vying for that spot to fight Conor McGregor, and it's almost not even about the title. It's about fighting Conor McGregor and that you know once in a lifetime quote unquote money fight. That that is the ultimate goal for all these guys. I, honestly, I think that if you were to ask these guys, oh, you can compete for a title or you can compete against Conor McGregor, they would say Conor McGregor because they know it would be a bigger payday. Absolutely. So, I mean, that's why I keep saying it's the it's the Nate fight. The Nate fight's going to be next. I've always wanted the Habib fight to take place. I know uh, Conor did drop that name before, but the Nate fight's going the Nate Diaz trilogy fight will make a lot more money. Although. Um, Habib Nurmagomedov, believe it or not, someone had mentioned in the live chat, is the hype gone with Habib Nurmagomedov? Technically, it is because we haven't really seen him compete. Uh, and his last fight, he basically had to pull out. But his he social media—he passed, media, he passed out passed. fighting a month from now. Yeah, weird. Like I'm, to me, he's he's a non-factor until he shows up for a fight and he makes weight. That's it. You got him. You got him down on the Ray Borg scale. Yeah, he's got to show Ray... up and he's got to make weight. Speaking of Ray Borg, ain't no way he's beaten Demetrius Johnson. I was just going to ask you: Does he have any chance whatsoever defeating Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson? He has a chance. He's fast, particularly early, but somehow Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson is better at everybody else's strengths than they are. This fight probably shouldn't have happened anyway. It should have been Sergio Pettis, but. No, I don't think Borg stands much of a chance. I'd put I'd put it I think Conor McGregor had a better chance to beat Floyd Mayweather than Ray Borg does to beat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. True. True. Now the only way I think that Ray Borg's gonna defeat Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson is obviously shock and awe. That perfect punch lands excuse me, the perfect punch lands shocks Demetrius, who doesn't who isn't able to recover, and Ray Borg has enough time to go in there for a finish, beat a TKO or submission. Well, uh, Demetrius Johnson says he's going to finish him in the fourth round. So if Demetrius Johnson says he's going to finish him in the fourth round, I'm going on the assumption that this fight is ending in the fourth round. <laughs> That's he's just, that good. You can just call the shots. Yeah, pretty much, I think so. And, you know, I heard... They, he was on Countdown, and somebody said uh, that they don't think that Demetrius Johnson has ever fought anybody with Rayborg's skill set. And I'm sitting there thinking, huh? Huh? He fought Ian McCall and Joseph Benavidez and, and John Cejudo. Dodson and Henry Cejudo. And I'm like, I don't know that there is any skill set that Rayborg has, any particular skill that Demetrius Johnson hasn't fought someone that, that has better skills in. I mean, last year, Justin Scoggins disposed of this guy. And Justin Scoggins ain't beaten Demetrius Johnson. Now, MMA math, whatever. We do know that, that, Scott, or that Borg can go the three rounds. The ultimate issue is, can he show up and make weight? 
Can he show up and make weight? Can he show up and make weight healthy? Or is my social media going to be blowing up? I was going to ask you, what's your relationship like with Ray Borg? Is he coming over for a barbecue dinner anytime soon? Hopefully not this week. <laughs> I'd like for him to make weight. I want to see this fight. I want to see him do well. Hey, man, I was... Last year, after his loss to Justin Scoggins, I was saying this is still a guy that should be in the hunt for a title. I mean, I thought so. When he beat Luis Smoka, I repeated that. I said he should be the guy. When he beat Formiga, I said he should be the guy, but he's got to make weight. But he, he's got to show that he can. He's got to show that he can, and this is his opportunity to show that he can. And he's got all this this tumultuous – these tumultuous issues with, with – uh, nutritionists and people like that. So hopefully things get better for him because I want to see him do well. Uh, I just don't think he's going to win this fight. What are the odds of him? I know history has proven otherwise, but what are the odds of him not making weight? I would this say is your, this is a second chance, son. I would say there's a good 40% chance. If you were to put a betting line on Ray Borg, not making weight, I would give it, Plus 160. Wow. I, yeah, yeah. It's I, – I, I don't know how to explain this eloquently, but dude, it's your second chance. Like this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You screwed it up or it got screwed up once, whether you take the blame for it or you don't, but it got screwed up. You are lucky to have it a second time. You cannot screw this up. No ifs, no ands, or buts. I would say that Borg's chance to miss his line for missing weight would be better than his line to win the fight. True, true he is say. much more likely to to uh, miss weight than than lose the fight. I mean, he's a, see people. I had people coming at me saying, "Oh, he's only missed weight twice." Yeah, but think about the other times that he's pulled out of fights or not shown up or not made it. Like, there's a lot more than what you see on his on his. Sherdog, sure or Sherdog sure doesn't even list that. They probably should, but they don't. Um, I want him to make weight because I want to see this fight. Demetrius Johnson deserves this opportunity to make history. Yeah, and I think he will. You know, once if the, uh, the minute this fight's official, it's, I'm not saying it's a lock, but he will make history and he'll go down as the greatest champion ever. I, I don't. Uh, to- I won't believe it's going to happen until he gets in the cage. You still think after potentially that Ray Borg makes weight? Until you see him step into the octagon? Yeah, yeah. By the way, his line, plus 800. Mighty Mouse is a minus 1250 some places. That's insane. Ferguson, that to is... put that in perspective, Lee is a plus 180. Ferguson is about a minus 220. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. I think Derek gotcha. Lewis is a fair bet at plus 220, or 215. Derek Lewis... And Fabrizio Verdum, that's a fun fight. I like it because I don't know really what to expect from Fabrizio Verdum anymore. Yeah, it's just uh, like I, I don't know. Well, I know that he wants an exciting fight. Like that. That's okay. it. That's all he said is that he has to put forth an exciting fight in order to put himself in a title contention. And Derek Lewis has dieted for this fight, so that's that says something. He wanted to retire after his last one, and honestly, after his last performance, he looked like he should retire. 
Yeah. Well, and, he, he in was the end, it's heavyweight out. MMA. Yeah, and anything can happen. Now, Fabrizio Verdum is far more skilled than Derek Lewis in probably all facets of mixed martial arts. It's just that I, I, I don't know his execution has just seemed odd the last fight or so, whereas Derek Lewis, we know what he brings to the table. He's just going to wait and wait, and then he's going to explode and just pound you and punch you and punch you and punch you, and he won't go away. He'll take it, and he won't go away, whereas Verdum can give it. It's just that, you know, will he be overly tentative knowing that Lewis has that power? So does everyone else. But he, he fought, I mean, when, when I go back to when Verdum fought uh, Roy Nelson, who has tons of power, he didn't fear that power at all. But there's a lot at stake here. There's a title shot potentially at stake here. Yeah, which is crazy to think that Derek Lewis, well, I don't think he would hop Nganu in line, but Nganu's got to beat Alistair Overeem. Alistair Overeem has been told that maybe he'll get a title shot if he wins. So I think this is to kind of slide them in line. But, I mean, and Overeem was doing okay against Miocic until he got KTFO'd. But yeah. There, there are so many question marks surrounding this fight and how each guy will perform. And, I, you know, can you believe anything that Fabricio Verdum says? His moral compass isn't exactly, like, way up there with... I mean, this is like the, the Chechnyan supporting all-star cast on this show because you got Bibilatov on, on the prelims. But then some of the comments that Verdum made earlier, so it makes me wonder, oh, is he going to tell the truth? Is he really going to try for an impressive finish? Who the hell knows with this guy? Are you referring to the statements he, when, when he was calling um, Tony Ferguson uh, obviously a, a, a slur? Yes. Yeah. So I felt so it, that kind of when I was watching it as it was going down because I, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I understand more Spanish than I could speak. Same thing with Portuguese. I, I, I understand far more than I could speak in French and stuff like that. Um, that term. I've heard that term used since I was probably, I don't know, Sean, 10 years old. Uh, I grew up in, you know, in, in a melting pot portion of, of Toronto where we had all different types of, of uh, you know, cultures and stuff like that. So that's a word that we've all heard thrown around all the time, uh, especially with my Latino friends, uh, male and female. So when I started hearing it, I'm like, oh, I haven't heard that in a while. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, I know what he's calling them. It's a, but the actual how do I say it? The actual, the translation is what it is. Okay. You're calling the, you know, it, it's the slang. If you don't, for those who don't know, it's a slang for homosexual. Begins with an F. We don't need to say anything else other than that. Yeah. But it's so commonly used in the vernacular that I don't even think they mean to say it in that derogatory term. So I thought to myself, yeah, you know, I, I could see why he's saying it, but it's 2017, son. People, you're saying it with all these cameras and microphones rolling. You simply can't be saying that. You know, what you do in private is something else, but what you do in public, you cannot be saying that. So while I was listening to it originally, Sean, I was like, I, I, I've heard that a thousand times. I know why he's saying that. And I'm like, whoa, you're representing the UFC in front of the media? You're doing that? You can't do that, son. Can't yeah, it's, it. it's a different world. And like I said, man, Verdum, a couple of guys that find themselves getting into trouble a lot. Now, you know, a lot of people will point at Derek Lewis and say, oh, well, he went and saved people in Houston. Good for him. You can be a great person and still do shitty things. I consider myself a good person. I've done plenty of shitty things. So I don't know. And it's weird that <laughs> these type of actions to me have a bearing on the fight, but they do because it weighs on me. How will Fabricio Verdum fight? 
He says that he wants a finish, but can I believe anything that he says? Is he sincere in anything that he says? I don't know, but it has pretty big implications. I don't think it's a title shot, but I think if, you know, given the landscape of heavyweights, one guy could get hurt and you're all of a sudden, you've got a title fight, so... Yeah, yeah, there's just the depth isn't really there. Absolutely got you there. Uh, Le Comité, I see what you're saying there, uh, that they do mean it. Uh, it's it's an argument that we could have for, for a while. I just – maybe he does. Maybe he did. Uh, I, I don't know. I know one fight we're not talking about, this women's strawweight fight that for some reason got put on the main card over Lando Venata and Bobby Green, Will Brooks, Nick Lentz, Dickenzie and Stam like, – what the hell? Oh, there was a heavyweight fight earlier. But Benil Dariush, Evan Dunham, that's one that interests me because uh, Dariush is the kind of guy who that if the fight goes past two rounds, he's going to beat you. That's just always how it plays out. But as he's shown, he can knock you out in the first, submit you in the second, or drag you to a finish. Evan Dunham relies on all three of those rounds. That's why this yeah. is really interesting to me. He's never had a ton of knockout power, and every time he's faced that top-level talent, he's never been able to really beat anybody. His losses are against guys who have had top-level talent, and he's just not been able to burst through. And he's also been out of the cage for over a year, and that's never happened to him before. We've spoken about this a lot, Joe. How far of a cry it is for some of these guys... From Evan Dunham, for example, being the 27-year-old prospect that Dana White is calling unbeatable right before Melvin Gillard completely embarrasses him. Now well, he was coming off that he was coming off that Sean Shirk fight that he actually technically won. Yeah, well, that he sh- he technically lost, but he should have won. Yes. Yes. And then he meets Melvin Gillard, and that lasted what, like three minutes? If I don't, if I'm not mistaken, like it, it lasted just... as long as Melvin Gillard allowed it to. It was that. Yeah. One. That was the best performance of Melvin Gillard's life. <laughs> Had yeah. Melvin Gillard fought whoever was the lightweight champion on that night, Melvin Gillard would have walked out with the title. That's how good he performed on that night. Evan Dunham's now in his mid-30s. Benil Dariush is the guy on the come-up. I, I think Dariush gets it done because I can't see Dunham finishing him in under three rounds. And to me, Dariush just gets better and better as he goes. Yeah, I mean, Dariush, look at who Dariush has lost to. He lost to Michael Chiesa, rear naked choke. Shocker, right? If he mm-hmm. loses someone. And then Edson Barbosa, via strikes, uh, an incredible fly knee. I mean, that was another highlight reel for Edson Barbosa. Uh, he's been in there with some tough guys. He's beaten Michael Johnson. He's beaten uh, Jim Miller. I mean, he, he's got the caliber to stay with the top guys in the division. It's just that this division is so Thick yep. with talent that you cannot lose. I mean, Benil Dariush was a guy that we were all talking about as a potential title contender, someone in the mix with a few more wins. Uh, he goes on, defeats Vic, defeats Magomedov, two good fighters, and then runs into Edson Barbosa. I tell you what, man, if Evan Dunham weren't in the UFC, he'd be in Bellator headlining against a Pitbull brother every month. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Hey, by the way, that women's fight. Kalindra Faria is the Titan Bantamweight champion. She's great. She's fantastic. Uh, I want to wish her the very best. And, well, she's taking someone on short notice because Andrea Lee had to get – Andrea Lee was pulled from the fight. But Mara Romero Borela uh, is tough. But obviously, you know, bias aside, I am rooting for uh, Kalindra to win this fight. Why is she on the main card? Why is this fight on the main card? It's a flyweight fight. <laughs> Lando Venata. Lando Venata. Lando Venata is 
there using these four fights uh, on the Fox or FXX card uh, just to pump the living crap out of this card here to get people to buy the pay-per-view. Well, what I would have done, I would have put them on the fight pass prelims and not because they're women. Well, because they're women. Because, Joe, you've been around long enough to know that there are those weirdos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those Correct. weirdos who only watch women's MMA. Like those men weirdos who just watch women's MMA and will dish out that nine ninety nine, saying, i got to watch that fight. Although, generally, I noticed that those weirdos would be more interested in the very low, low, low level fights than a high level fight like this one. Like pre-UFC, where the women are a little more accessible and they'll talk to you and stuff. That accessibility for MMA fighters, especially the women, is a gift and a curse because a lot of these fans think that they're owed something for the success of them. And they're not. What they're owed is the entertainment inside the cage. That's what they're owed. So I would have put them on uh, Fight Pass to get those buys and moved Green Venata, which is guaranteed to be fireworks. Like, we can't even break down Green Venata. Like, it's impossible. Here's all I got. Lando Venata keeps his hands down. There we go. That's me breaking down that fight. Yeah, explosiveness. This is going to be absolutely insane. If I told you Will Brooks signs with the UFC, but he would go one and two in his first three fights, what would you have said to me back then? Oh, I would be um, very surprised because of how well he has performed outside yeah. of the UFC. This is a must win for him if he wants to stay relevant. I think 100. percent He can't go. He can't lose three fights in a row, especially in this division. And Nick, I Nick think it's Lentz a is the guy who loses his way very often. Like he'll go on all these hot streaks, then cold streaks. Yeah, I think it's a good fight. I like this matchup. It's going to say a lot about where these two guys are in their respective careers. Yeah, I do too. And Will Brooks, like I said, has to win this fight to stay relevant. Nick Lentz was the guy that some people said was going to beat Conor McGregor back in the day. What a far cry. It's, it's, we're in a much different world now. But um, he drew Will Brooks. And Will Brooks, like I said, crucial. I don't know if he'll get cut. He might have a no-cut contract. I don't know what his deal is. I know he wasn't in his demand as, as uh, Hector Lombard and... God, who else? I can't even remember who I'm thinking of right now, but... He's got to emerge victorious. Eddie Alvarez? There we go. Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez. Uh, Bobby Green, does that fight go the full distance? It could. Yeah, it could. Because it seems like the kind of fight that wouldn't, but they also seem like the kind of guys that would just beat on each other for three rounds. So I think there's a possibility that it will. Yeah, I'm, I'm really liking that fight there. Pearl Gonzalez uh, and Pauliana Botello will kick off uh, that prelim card uh, on the broadcast side on FXX. Pearl Gonzalez, obviously we all know her from, what was it called, Implant Gate, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, she'll take on Pauliana. So that's going to be – that'll be a fun fight because I think Pearl wants to sort of erase what happened in Buffalo uh, and make things right uh, You know, with this fight here. Although, uh, and taking on Botello, Botello – I mean, I've seen, I think, two or three of her fights. Uh, she's 5-1 and one as we speak, but she can throw leather, and she could throw kicks. So I would be careful with this fight here. Yeah, I would too. This is a good fight, an underrated fight. Um, this is a good, just a fine fight. I'm, gl- I'm glad that this one got booked. Yeah, Pearl, man, that's a bummer to have to overcome that, have, have that put out there about you. 
but I think she'll she'll rebound accordingly. On the on the prelim card, we got that Walt Harris Mark Godbeer fight, and you know, anytime these guys like this are scheduled against each other, I'm just like, okay, which one's going to sleep? Either that, yeah. or which one's putting me to sleep from a boring performance? You think so? I think this is going to be more exciting than that. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I'm just more surprised. Um, I, I guess it's the vintage guy thinking in my head uh, of John Moraga. I know he's three and four in his last four in his last four fights. Uh, or sorry, he's one and three in his last four fights. But um, he's on the fight pass prelims. Wow, this is a guy that fought for the title. Yeah, and he's facing a guy that's probably going to beat him and could be a 2018 title challenger. But if he is a title challenger next year, that could be a PR disaster because, as I mentioned, his support of the Chechnyan leader. Mar- yeah. Moraga's trying to keep it, which, I mean, you know, has been covered great by people like Kareem Zayden and stuff. But, like, you know, NBC and CBS aren't covering this stuff yet. They will, though. It will happen. Uh, yeah. John Moraga, I don't think he'll be cut if or when he loses. I just think he's trying to keep his head above water. Uh, he's still useful in that division. You think he's the official gatekeeper at 125 pounds? Yeah, kind of, kind of. And one of these guys might end up fighting for the title Saturday night. True. Two-fight win streak for Brad Tavares. He defeats our fellow, uh, or my fellow Canadian, uh, fellow Fightful supporter, Elias Theodoro, and then gets migrated to the fight pass prelims. Are you surprised that he's taking on Thalas Latis? No, that's a good fight, too. I like that. That's a fight that could have happened, like, years ago and it still would have been good but I think it's even better now at this stage of their careers so I'm interested in that also got my eye on the Schnell Beltran thing because you know if you're a flyweight on this show you're just sitting there waiting for Ray yeah. Borg to pull out you're you're what if you are a flyweight on this show you don't target 126 pounds you target the championship weight that's what you do so if you are Moraga, Schnell, Beltran, Bibilatov you target 125 or one four or 124.9. That's what you got to do. Also, uh, the Stammen dickenzie fight, that's one with a couple of big prospects. Interested in that one. Uh, yeah, not, I think you're bang on with the, the flyweight analogy there. Not as interested as I am in seeing people get put in the walls of Jericho, though. <laughs> Worse than the Wait. Von Flu. Worse than the Von Flu. That I can concur with. That you will get no argument from me um, because, I mean, who are we kidding? There were times when I used to roll back in the day uh, early. Like I'm talking like, my goodness, late 90s when I first started jiu-jitsu. That's the kind of stuff we would joke around with in training. right? We would literally joke around trying – you know. Trying to pass someone's guard, your legs would get trapped. Jokingly, go for a figure four. You try and pass the guard, you know, you pop over to this side. Oh, Boston crap, right? Or walls of Jericho. So I thought it's. I mean, when I saw your tweet saying we are going to discuss this, I'm like, yes. what did I miss? And I quickly looked around. And I'm like, and I watched it, and I was like, did this really happen? Yeah, and like, it was bad. See? It was even worse. If you did, you see the full video? No, no, I just saw the clips. It was bad. It was bad. The guy on the bottom, this is a pro fight, was writhing around. Like, there are legit ways to set this up, Joe. Um, yeah. It's very unlikely, and the person you have, you're facing has to be really low level. You can be standing with the person in an open guard, and their feet are up, and you, you grab the heel, and then you step over and take it. 
Also, there's one against low-level grapplers where if they close their guard and they go flat back and they stay there for a while, you can crawl towards their knee or crawl past their knee, bear crawl over it, and they if they don't break their guard, you'll roll them over. And generally then what you do is take a single crab because the, the boss and crab with both legs – there's really no need. It's leverage, and you have more leverage if you have if you go hands clasped, one leg, you stretch there. That's against really low-level grapplers. This was against a professional fighter that didn't set it up in either of those ways. The guy just spun around, grabbed him by his ankles, threw him up, and took it. And you spoke to Sean Pearson about it. And i got to say I loved his references. Here's Sean Pearson. Uh, over the, I think it was the past weekend, uh, there was a submission overseas. The Boston Crab, the walls of Jericho, uh, were applied inside of a cage. Uh, did you have a chance to see that submission, and what were your thoughts? I saw it, and it, again, it, I was, my biggest concern was, I don't know if I saw Ralphus in that guy's corner. Was he related to Ralphus at all? Or do you know who Ralphus is, Joe? Like, I don't know if you're, if you know how serious this really is. Like that was JPS all over it. I, I swear to God, it was JPS. And I don't know Chris was Chris was you know with his band out there, but I I really think that this is the JPS Ralphus or his son or someone he's been training coming out. Of. That was that was great. <laughs> you think you could apply a Boston crab on someone in a fight and actually pull it off? One hundred percent. The way you know you go to the this is the sad part about MMA in the the lower ranks. The truth of the matter is the skill discrepancy is huge. And then with everybody now trying to build the records up because everybody needs to be 8-0, let's call a spade a spade. I could go back right now at 41 years old and, and throw moves on guys that I see in there. Just do what I want. Um, it, it was almost a joke when I watched the video. I heard the guy laughing. Like the guy, like it's like his quarterman's laughing going, yeah, this is, this is a gong show. You know what I mean? Like what a mismatch. And I didn't see the whole fight, so maybe it wasn't a mismatch, but – I just look at that kind of stuff. I remember going into a jiu-jitsu gym in Pickering back in the day, and the guy is teaching stuff like that, and step over, toe holds. And I'm just- this is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. So they're looking over going, where the hell am I? You know, like, what's going on here right now? Believe it or not, you are the first person I thought of when I saw that submission. I'm like, this is what Pearson would have did about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, maybe 10 years ago. Well, we won't date oh, I'm not saying you're that old, but at least 10 years ago, uh, if some tough guy tried to come into the gym, uh, at the very least, try and pick on you. Well, again, I don't, we're saying like this isn't a legitimate move. Chris Jericho is probably one of the greatest all time wrestlers, you know, in over time. When you think about it, he was a middleweight competing against heavyweights just destroying people in that, that ring. I feel like, you know, his skill was ahead of his time and people are just catching on now. Ralphus, his personal bodyguard from back in the day, is probably training people. Yeah. There's no doubt it's a, it's a submission move. It can actually work. So can the figure four. And I had this conversation with Sean Ross Sapp a while ago. Has there ever been a figure four in mixed martial arts or something to that effect? I mean, we see choke slams all the time, power slams. Uh, anything can happen. But uh, there, there's no doubt in my mind that that's a legit move. In terms of other, sorry, you want to say something? I was going to say the greatest choke slam of all time was at 
I want to say it was Travis Fulton. Oh, yeah. I remember him grabbing a karate guy and just basically slamming him through the octagon floor. <laughs> the guy was in like a coma afterwards. Like, I'm, I'm not, not for real, but I just mean his body went all limp. <laughs> I was like, holy cow. But again, back in the day in these small shows, there's mismatches, and that was one of them. Travis had like, you know, 5,000 fights, and this guy coming in with his black belt probably had two. You mentioned a mismatch. Roy McDonald came out and said that George St. Pierre potentially made a mistake in coming back as a middleweight. Uh, I've seen some pictures of George recently where he does look like he's bulking up a little bit. You can see a bit of weight around his face, which is natural if he wants to compete at 185. Um, but do you agree with Roy that the potential mistake that was there to come back at 185 and maybe come back at 170? Well, it depends on what frame of mind we're looking at here. If we think that George is coming back to try and be a champion somewhere then sure, yeah, maybe he's made a mistake. But I don't think George cares about being – like, when I say he doesn't care about being champion, that's not the, the foremost goal. Yet. The foremost goal is to make as much money as he can in as little time possible. And if that matchup was a middleweight title fight against a guy that he thinks that he can beat, it makes sense. If you, I think George is going to compete against some of the other middleweights, like a Luke Rockhold after this, I would say it would probably be a bad decision. But, again, for a super fight, title, a lot of things here. There's a lot of money to be made in this fight, especially if he wins, because then you've got Conor McGregor next, I guarantee it. Because Conor's now got a shot at a middleweight title against a welterweight. You're not going to get much better offering than that. So, you know, potentially there's a, a market here to make a lot of money in a short period of time. In two fights, George can have that, you know, I call it the, the May-Mac fight would be the, the GSP-Mac fight. Like it's, Oh, yeah, 100%. It's there. So, again, the opportunity is there. If he loses, he lost to a middleweight. It's really a no-lose no situation in my mind. He was a good choice to have on this week. Yes. Anytime something like that comes up, Sean, uh, Sean gets that phone call. Although there's going to be some other guys that uh, hopefully will be joining us uh, in the weeks to come, uh, some, some guys that are uh, contenders in the UFC. But Sean Pearson is always good for a quote or four. Yes. That one was awesome. I love the Ralphus reference. I sent you a picture of Ralphus so you would know who he was. Uh, man. And Jer- I don't know if Jericho has even commented about this since it happened, which surprises me because he's usually quick to jump on anything that would get him the mainstream exposure. So, yeah. So, man. But I guess we got this Bellator show to talk about now. Uh, but before we do that, Chael Sonnen and Chuck Liddell, you buying this? Hey, what did I tell you? Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? You never know. You never know. I mean, Chuck Liddell would probably be a guy that would just deflect anything and everything that would come his way when it comes to returning to mixed martial arts. But it seems to be popping up a bit more where he would say stuff like that. There's a payday right there versus Chael Sonnen. There was a few paydays there for, for Chuck Liddell in Bellator. Remember, he's no longer getting paid from the UFC to stay retired or you know that, that the gig that him and Matt Hughes and Forrest Griffin sort of had uh, during the Zufa era. So I don't think he's getting paid anymore under this new ownership. So if he's looking for money uh, and big money and he wants to fight, which I'm sure he always wants to despite that you know he shouldn't be fighting, Chael Sonnen's there for the taking. And Chael Sonnen will, will say anything and everything to refute anything the Iceman has to say while generating interest for the fight. Yep. He's he's the best at that. And if he can drag people out of retirement to fight him, more power to him. 
I mean, that, ah, yeah, yes and no, right? Like Chuck Liddell, after what we saw, especially, I mean, I was there for the Shogun fight. I was there for the Rich Franklin fight. Uh, I was there for a few of his fights where it was like, I was there for the Rashad Evans fight. Uh, the, the infamous, br- that knockdown, that knockout happened like literally, uh, I would say 11 o'clock uh, to my left, just like 20 feet. It was just, and the whap of that punch landing, I was like, whoa. Uh, so yeah, but I, I I personally do not want to see Chuck Liddell compete in mixed martial arts again. But who am I to say? Because you know if he signs in that dotted line, I'll watch, and I'm sure that that, that that'd be a good grab for Bellator if you think about it. Oh hell yeah, it'd be a good grab for Bellator. Right? That's what they do, man. Yeah. That is exactly what they like to do. And if they can do it, and they can safely, and I say that as in a man's probably getting knocked knocked out or hit dozens of times as best I can, but safely, then do it. Sure, why not? If it gets eyeballs on the product and Ugh. Yeah, that that's exactly it. Ugh. Can you quote that? Quote that? Tweet that? Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, it's absolutely. scary. It's it's yeah. iffy. But, but if that, anybody... that type of fight. That type of fight though, Sean. Those types of names. Do you think Bellator is doing a good enough job? I'm gonna say no or not as much as I thought they should, but do you think they're doing a good enough job to take advantage of these big names and using them to also promote their existing quote-unquote talent that are higher up in the rankings, that should get promotion and get eyeballs on them? They're putting together better cards upcoming. Like this Friday's got a good card. It doesn't have a big major name. But then Bellator 185, they got Gegard Musashi on the show, and then they put Heather Hardy... Brennan Ward, Dave Rickles, Liam McGeary. King Mo was supposed to be there, but he got hurt. They got Bader and Phil Davis on a show. Then they put the women's flyweight title on there. They put Zach Freeman on there. They put Ed Ruth on there. I thought that was smart. Um, They could do better. They could always do better because they have so many of these names, but they just never fight. And that's something that Rory McDonald has expressed frustration with, just fighting rarely. And he's like, I didn't come here to... You know, for them to pay me this much, but me sit on the sidelines, I want to keep making money. Yeah, well, that's just proof of who Rory McDonald is because that guy there just loves to fight. Yeah. He would look for any excuse for a fight. That's I've known Rory since he was you know a teenager. Uh, this kid loves to fight, uh, but he does had he had, he did have some beef with Bellator uh, in stating exactly what you just said. I didn't sign here to fight once a year. I want to fight more. He also stated in a recent interview that you know the whole thing for him was. Bellator to come to Canada to hold events in Canada, and it's going to happen after he defeats Douglas Lima. He said, because once I'm the champion, it's going to be easier uh, for them to sell a show here in Canada. I'm not so sure unless you return to the same spots that you came to originally when you came to Canada, because I don't know how big uh, Bellator would be in Montreal, where Rory is currently, currently living, and or in BC, where he's currently from. Right in, in in the Toronto, the Greater Toronto region, where they had a show up at Rama, which is about two hours north of Toronto. Um, it's it's on a Indian reserve casino. Yeah, yeah I could see it happening. Uh, you could fill the house because they're going to give away tickets no matter what. But I don't know how big Bellator would actually be, and I can I can tell you that Rory McDonald isn't that big of a ticket seller in my parts. Right, he's not George St. Pierre, although Rory McDonald's a fantastic talent. He just doesn't have that cachet and that name. Well, they would have to go there to see. That's the thing. Ultimately, yeah. you have to go there and see, and I'll look up and down their roster right now, and let's see who they got. From Canada, Slim Pickens. 
very slim pickings. It's Rory, Julia Valerie. Budd, Holly Valerie. Lawson, Valerie Letourneau. Four? Which, I mean, sometimes for Bellator, four is all you need because then you fill the prelims full of just locals. So yep. that that could be possible. Um yeah, but man, you, you gotta come with. You gotta have a little. You know, they'd probably sign like David Loazzo or somebody like that, though. Oh, and Dave will sign the dotted line. Dave wants a fight. Just to throw, just to throw him on there. They they would probably do that. I could see them doing that too. Yeah, Loazzo wants to fight Matt Hughes. Not now, but did before just, Matt Hughes. You're gonna say what yeah. an asshole. <laughs> no, no, not now, not now. Before the uh, the train incident, uh, it, it was something he was talking. Oh no. David's a good guy, but I was saying before the the, the train incident, uh, he was like, well, I'd come out of retirement to fight Matt Hughes for sure. That'd be a great fight. And then that happened, and he's like, I don't know, that's not a great idea. Yeah, no, not a good idea. But uh, Bellator is having an event uh, this weekend, this Friday. Uh, champion um, Eduardo Dantas taking on Darian Caldwell in a bantamweight title fight. Uh, this is a good fight. It's an underrated fight, an underappreciated fight. Although the guys in the main card here basically all fought each other, on separate cards, or basically a Bellator was at 178 or 176 or something like that, yeah. but they all recently fought on April's Bellator card, but here you go, Caldwell, uh, he finds himself in a title fight against Dauntus. Yeah, uh, we have, I think Dauntus urges victorious at this. Uh, we have interviews up and exclusives up with Strauss, Caldwell, and Cazola from this show, so check those out on Fightful.com, guys, use those forums over at Fightful.com, our live discussion, I want to see you all... Uh, Chatting in there, leave a comment. What do, you, what do you think about a fight before, during, after, whatever? Uh, definitely uh, join us there and, of course, subscribe to us, iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, because we will talk about this show briefly after the UFC 216 post-show. Caldwell, the thing that interests me the most about him is his body type. He is a bantamweight that is the same height with a longer reach than Daniel Cormier, undefeated heavyweight Daniel Cormier. Crazy. So he's going to be able to get leverage in ways that we've not seen. And he really only had a hiccup against Joe Timanglo, and he immediately won. It says a lot about him that he was like, let's run that back right now. I'm getting that back. Then I'll fight for the title. Yeah. Because they could have put him in a title fight before that. He was like 6-0 and in Bellator or 7-0 and in Bellator or something like that and beat Joe Warren and Sean Bunch and Rafael Silva. But the, the Warren one was the impressive one when he put him to sleep in three minutes. I think this is a more of an underrated challenge to, to Dantes than, than we're seeing. I think this could be a Cody Garbrandt situation or almost like a Luke Rockhold situation where a lot of people don't see it coming. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh damn, he's that good. He's that good? Well, maybe maybe we should have seen this coming. I think Caldwell can get it done. Um, Dantes is actually younger than him. He's facing somebody – Caldwell's facing somebody who's younger but has twice the experience. Weird. And something that I always wonder is like how much of their wrestling career did that take out of a guy like Caldwell physically? What does that do to a person? Because when you get 10, 15 fights deep into an MMA career, you see that – that drop happen in a lot of these guys. Yeah, you're right. That, that's, in terms of, that's what I'm looking I, for. I've always thought about wrestling, uh, you know, Olympic wrestling, collegiate wrestling, uh, whether freestyle or Greco-Roman. Um, I, I've never really seen the numbers, but concussions. Uh, how many concussions do these guys, like, average 
or girls average mm-hmm. over their tenure in, in, in wrestling from when they're kids all the way up until, you know, if they make it to, you know, whether they get they become Division One or not, just in, in college university. Yeah, and we Caldwell's only 29, so I don't know when we'll see that from him. Yeah. But, I mean, he's, like I said, he's a big, big, big Bantamweight. One of the biggest there have ever been in the division. Yeah. So you got to wonder when that that will start to affect him. And he told me that he is definitely uh, open to fighting at 145 pounds in the future. I mean, he won the 2009 NCAA championship at 149 pounds. Yeah, he's a beast. Five ten. Like the guy. I mean, five ten fighting at 135. Hello. I mean, that that's an absolute monster. But I still think Don just has the experience to deal with something like that because, I mean, I'm not saying that Caldwell's ground game isn't spectacular. He's a blue belt in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but uh, Dauntus always finds a way to, to wreak havoc with anyone and everyone. Uh, although, if I'm not mistaken, this is the tallest and biggest opponent he, he'll have ever faced. I know he's fought uh, Galvao and Warren. Warren's not that big anyways. Uh, Richmond's a big guy. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's the biggest opponent he's ever faced. So, yeah, and uh, this is this is a legit, legit main event for Bellator, even though it's completely under the radar. And, you know, hey, if you want to throw MMA math into it, Joe Warren beat uh, Dantes and Caldwell put him away with the quickness. Uh, also, Daniel Strauss, he told me he's pretty excited to be fighting somebody who's not a pit bull or Pat Curran. Right. And he's looking for Emmanuel Sanchez to come forward and get knocked out. Ah, uh, that ain't how Dan. That ain't how Emmanuel Sanchez fights. He fights really, really long, drawn out fights that usually end in a split or more majority decision. Yeah, I mean uh, Daniel Strauss was that was one of the fighters in Bellator about a year or so ago that everyone was paying very close attention to. I thought he was going to get come over to the UFC, uh, but he stayed with Bellator. Uh, but hasn't competed in a while, if I'm not mistaken. Did, did he fight on that April card? Um, let me check here. No, he did actually. He lost to uh, to Pipple, to the Pipple brother, uh, by a guillotine. So, um, Strauss, Sanchez, I like this fight. It's a good co-main event. Uh, Strauss better not get greedy because it could get ugly for him. Um, I still think he does have a bit of an edge in this fight, but this is anyone's guess in my opinion. Yeah, we got to see how Strauss reacts because when he gets taken out of his comfort zone, we see how he performs sometimes. It, sometimes it'll look like he just gives up. And he told me that he got into a rut because he was fighting the same guys over and over and over again for like four years. And if yeah. you remember, Joe, when Coker got brought in, one of the reasons that he got brought in and one of the selling points, whether it was from him or just media or fighters, was – well, the tournament's gone, so we're not going to see repeats all the time, like mandatory repeats. And what did we see? We saw the same repeats. fights over and over and over. We saw the graphic hand injury that he had, the surgery that he had last year, and he told me that it has its days, but that he is um, he's still feeling good as it pertains to a fight. Uh, a comment in the YouTube chat says, Is there a Fightful broadcast Saturday night? Yes, there is, right after UFC 216. We are coming at you live. Daniel Strauss is one of these big question marks. He is in his mid-30s in a division that he has had trouble making weight at before. When When's he going to move up? Will he move up? He had to cut his hair I was just going to say, yeah, why not just move up? Because he'd get thrown in there with a pit bull brother and have to fight him four times <laughs> in a main event of a show. That's why. You can't escape. You can't escape. There is none. <laughs> That's too funny. Absolutely. Uh, Pat Curran taking on John Teixeira. Uh <laughs> 
Why are you laughing? I'm just waiting for both of their opponents to pull out so they can fight each other on this show. Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? But yeah, Pat Curran taking on John Teixeira. I like this fight. Um, you know, Pat Curran was, was, you know, he's coming off two straight wins, but he's, he's 500 in his last four fights. Um, you know, he lost to a Pipple brother, uh, lost to Daniel Weichel, and then he comes back, he defeats Sanchez and then Carcanian. So, um, <coughs> problem is, he hasn't competed since May of 2016. It's been a long time since we've seen Pat Curran, uh, compete in the cage. That has me, that always has me a little worried, although the, the conversation that we have all the time about ring rust and ring rust is fake and blah, blah, but, it is what it is. Whereas, you know, his opponent Teixeira, he's coming off a, uh, off a loss against Weichel as well, or uh, off a, of Weichel. But he was on a crazy run before that loss. So, you know, jumping back on the horse. It only lo- that loss happened in April. Before that loss, he hadn't lost since 2012. Right. It's, so he's dying to get back in there. It's just weird because Pat Curran's only 30, and I yeah. associate him with his cousin so much. Because his cousin in like 07 was looking like one of the best fighters in the world for a while. Like he got beat by Hatsuhiyoki and nobody else. But Jeff Curran has been around since like 98. And he's yeah. still fighting on occasion. Like I think he fought last year in VFC. But Pat Curran's been fighting himself since like 08. So it just seems like the Curran name has been around forever. And just waiting for them to throw out another cousin somewhere. His last win, his last two wins, Curran's, Georgie Caracagna and Emmanuel Sanchez. That's a couple of good wins to have at this stage in your career when a lot of people thought that maybe he was on the downslide. But maybe he wasn't on the downslide because his losses were to Pitbull, Strauss, and Weichel. So, I mean, sure, fine, whatever. He's still a player in that division. And honestly, I think he could be a player at lightweight, too. You got this log jam at featherweight. To me, it's a deep division. It's a deep division, and if I'm Curran, Strauss, I'm thinking, you know what, maybe I should just move to lightweight just to get away. Yeah. Just to get away from it all. Um, Curran taking this long off is, you know, that, that, is, that is concerning, but he was supposed to fight to share in December. So... I mean, it's not like he, he's been sidelined with one single thing that's like put him at like an ACL or something. He was going to fight in December, but uh, yeah, I want to see how this hashes out. And God, please don't rematch Strauss and Curran. Just whatever you do, don't do that. Yeah, um, the, I mean, the, the fight kicking off the broadcast is Joe Tamagolo taking out Leandro Higo. I like what Bellator is doing in this, though. It's four fights, two divisions. Four fights, two divisions. If something bad happens, you've got someone to match somebody else with, or you got somebody to put front row and say, "Oh, look who's watching on!" Yada yada yada. And uh, as I mentioned, with the Steve Cazola Carrington Banks fight—that's one to look out for, guys. Regardless of who wins, that's one to watch out for. Uh, Carrington Banks is a grinder. He's undefeated. He's the type of challenge that Steve Cazola needs. And Steve Cazola is the type of challenge that Carrington Banks needs. Uh, Carrington Banks has only fought six times, but he fought. He was a, a Black Zillions project. He uh, a product beat C.J. Keith, beat Jake Roberts. His fights generally go to decision. Meanwhile, Cazola is putting people to sleep and doing it different like the weight first, classes. Doing it the first, second round. He put old Jake the Snake to sleep earlier this year. 
and I interviewed him, and he's a great interview. He's well-spoken. He's, he's energetic. Joe, listen to this trajectory. In March 2014, he fought at featherweight. Yep. He won in the second round, knocked a dude out. In May, just two months later, he jumped up 25 pounds to fight at welterweight. He knocked the dude out in a round. A few months later, he drops back down to 155, knocks the guy out in a minute. If that doesn't get the eye of promoters, I don't know what should. But then he had trouble getting fights in Bellator and World Series of Fighting, which can show you how terrible some matchmakers can be. Because if you have a guy who fought at three different weight divisions over a few months and you can't find a fight for him, that's on you. That ain't his fault. That's on you as a matchmaker. Uh, So I want to definitely compliment whoever's putting together this Carrington Banks fight because it's a good fight and one that you got to watch out for in that lightweight division, Joe. In your conversation with him, though, did he not mention that he got rid of his manager or his management company? Yeah, he he moved on to uh, Tiki, I I believe. Tiki Gosen, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, first, I mean, I'm just trying to think of it from a matchmaker's perspective. You've got a guy that can fight in three different weight classes who did it in between March to October. So you've got tons of options for the guy. But then you reach out to the manager, and then you go about your daily business, taking care of all the other fighters on your roster. And before you know it, the card is here. And then you go back to the manager. Hey, man, what's going on? And there's no reply. You go back to what you're doing. So I feel bad for Steve. Uh, and I wonder, it's partially the matchmaker's fault. If you really want a guy, you got to pick up the pace and find out. I mean, Joe Silva, I'm pretty sure, <coughs> excuse me, would bypass the manager very quickly if they're not replying and get to the fighter if he wants to fight. Right, but yeah, I'm glad Steve got rid of the the, the management. Whoever they they might be great guys, girls, I don't know. But now that he he is where he's at, I mean, we need to keep an eye on this guy because Cazola, like you said, he's eight and zero, mm-hmm. and he has finished everybody, putting people you know? to sleep. That's the thing yeah. at that division, any of those three divisions. If you're doing that, that's something to keep your eye on. That's a Mike Perry thing. He touches yeah. people, they start to go to sleep. All right, that's what Cazola's doing. And uh, safe place to put this fight on the prelims. But, you know, CJ Tuttle, Bellator's PR guy, sends me a list of people that I like to interview. And, you know, I looked at it and I was like, all right, I've interviewed Emmanuel Sanchez several times and Will several times again. He'll always be there. I looked at Daniel Strauss. I've interviewed him. I want that interview. He's a local guy. I looked at... um, at some other guys, but then I saw Steve Casola and I didn't know a lot about him. And then I researched him and I watched his fights. And I said, that's the type of guy I want to interview and I want to establish a relationship with on a professional level. Because I get the feeling it's going to be a good idea to know him. And then when I spoke to him, and I encourage you guys to check out that interview. It is up on Fightful's YouTube. He gets it. You hear it, he gets it. The last person... Who had that experience, that experience level or lower that I heard and I spoke to that got it? Kimbo Slice Jr. Yeah, yep. So, I, I mean, it. like, and is he doing much right now? No, but he got it. You could tell that he listened and he's been paying attention for a long time. He got it. Uh, Steve Cazola gets it. He's he's one to watch out for, guys. Uh, and just for Daniel Strauss and Pat Kern and their opponents, uh, the future. 
is Aaron Pico. You need to be careful if you want to fight him. If you want to, you either want to stall that hype train because eventually, if you stay in that division, you are going to have to fight Pico eventually. Uh, and Pico is, like you said, he's taking time. He's taking his time to eventually get that title shot. So. We'll see where all that ends up. But pivotal fights definitely on Bellator's main card on Friday night. Looking forward uh, to watching it and breaking it down on Saturday night as part of our uh, as part of our double coverage as well with UFC 216. Um, you mentioned if you look on the YouTube page, you look on the Fightful MMA page, Conor McGregor's plans. We sort of touched on it earlier on. We know he loves to watch fights. We know he always says he's going to watch this. He's, he's a huge fan uh, of combat sports in general. Um, what are his plans? Because he actually came out and did say that. Wouldn't be surprised if Nate Diaz, number one, prices himself out of the trilogy fight, and number two, if he got a rematch with Floyd Mayweather, it'd be the easiest fight of his life. <laughs> well, he said he wants to do it in the MMA world, and he said he wanted to fight Pauly in an MMA fight, too. Yeah. Uh, both smart propositions to make, albeit completely unlikely. He's really smart about how he does his media because he doesn't do the rounds anymore. He makes everybody come to him on like a yacht or something or in a gym, and it becomes an event. And I know that we got five stories out of it, out of him talking for a half hour. Okay, well done. Um, he, he is smart to assess the situation because Conor McGregor can be a star maker. Nate Diaz was known before, but let's let's not pretend like this fight didn't completely like that elevated Nate Diaz into a new stratosphere. Big time. Nate Diaz is a celebrity at this point. So and good, he should be. And the thing that I like about Nate Diaz is it was almost a self fulfilling prophecy because there was a fighter <laughs> that we had on our team and he kind of had the Diaz trait, and I was like, ah, oh, you're asking for some stuff before you really deserve it, before you've really earned it. Well, Nate Diaz did that for a long time, and then he got it. Do you remember when he called out Connor after that Fox fight, and a lot of people were like, you're crazy, dude. Yeah. You're yep. crazy, dude. I said that. Couldn't be more happy to have been wrong, because that fight made me a lot of money. Personally. There you go. So yeah. there you go. There you go. Larry Hammer on the uh, chat says, Rory, with the right card around him, would sell out a 10,000-capacity arena in most any Canadian city. Larry Hammer, I will wager whatever you'd like on that. I don't think that would ever happen. If Sorry. that right card is GSP. <laughs> We're talking Bellator, though. Yeah, right? Bellator, there, there ain't anybody that they can put on that show that they have. Who's available that they, like, that maybe released, like, Sean Pearson, he's available. Yeah. Well, he was originally signed to Bellator. Uh, yeah. yeah. I was sort of managing Sean at the time. So he was with Bellator. Uh, was supposed to fight, I believe, Brian Foster back in the day. The fight, oh, yeah. the fight didn't go through. Uh, obviously, Foster had some issues uh, with his, I think it was EKG. Uh, and then um, we said, look, we got to get a fight. You know, can we get his release? Because obviously, you know, there's other organizations that are looking. And, and at the time, I think it was Sam who's just basically, yeah, no problem. We understand. Go ahead. Uh, released him. And then that same week, I flew down and spoke to Joe Silva when I was at the UFC and left Vegas, landed. And there's a bunch of texts from Joe Silva. I'm like, Sean, get your, get your paperwork. You got to fight. And it was against Matt Riddle. Oh, boy. Yeah, he won. He won, too. That's funny that, like, almost everybody that he was facing or – 
was close to facing has a little connection to me. Brian Foster used to train with uh, one of my original trainers. When you first said that, I, I got him a little confused with Brian Rogers, who Bellator loved, if you remember. They loved Brian Rogers. They put him up against every favorable matchup they could. He just couldn't keep connecting with his fists to their heads, and unfortunately it didn't work out for them. But he's doing okay now. They, they finally let him go last year, but he's won a couple fights since then, this year. He's doing okay, though? Everything is good? Yeah, it looks like. Uh, Brian Rogers, yeah. Brian Foster, he's hit or miss. Um, but Yeah. That, that was a heartbreaking situation, how he couldn't get back in the UFC. Yep. Guy that beat it's Matt true. Brown and Brock Larson back when beating Brock Larson meant something. Yep. Yep. Remember Brock Larson uh, when I did the uh, uh, Oklahoma show with uh, Chael Sonnen and, and um, Jim Ross, the, yeah. the one-night eight-man tournament, welterweight yes. tournament. Owen Canero was there. Jukawa ended up winning it. I think Brock was actually in the finals. I watched that live. Did you? Uh, no, not there. But okay. I watched yeah. the I watched the show. Yeah, on yeah. iPay pay per view or whatever it was that it that it aired on. So you basically heard Chael Sonnen rip at me every time they threw it backstage, right? Yes. 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 Thanks, Chael. Love you, Chael. Jerk. Uh, is what it is. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? What is there to talk about? Let me check the headlines over on Fightful.com where people can get all their pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing news. Also, guys, I expect that our Fightful boxing newsletter will be back uh, on a regular schedule soon. Obviously, Carlos Toro had to deal with hurricanes and stuff. So yeah, He that, popped up on the live chat today. I saw him somewhere up there. Yeah, so I, I imagine that will be be back in, in order. Also, we're looking for an associate editor. Uh, Alex had to kind of step down, uh, focus on his family a little bit more. He'll be retained uh, on Fightful, but we're looking for somebody, MMA knowledge a plus, but that can cover things. Uh, if you all know anybody, if you recommend anybody, send them my way. I'm taking a look at a lot of people. Uh, King Mo injured off of Bellator 185. That's a bummer because that fight against Liam McGeary would have been a good one. Michael Chandler says he might move to welterweight. Kamaru Usman says that the UFC doesn't promote him due to his heritage. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He says that uh, we don't have a TV contract in uh, Nigeria. So what's the point in pushing a guy from there? Do you think that's why? No. No. I think because he didn't finish anybody until his last fight. Correct. I think that's exactly what it is, and I think it's just one of those things where you're you're waiting to catch lightning in a bottle. Mm -hmm. That's all you're doing, and I think he's starting to catch it. So, what about this Cub Swanson uh, Brian Ortega fight? That is a good one to book. Yeah, and then Michael Johnson comes out and says he wants to fight Cub Swanson in his featherweight debut. It's like, dude, he just got booked. Yeah. Michael Johnson's one of those guys that can beat anybody on any given night, but also on any given night he can get beaten by anybody. Yeah. Uh, Rockhold doesn't think the UFC 217 uh, main eventer will fight Robert Whitaker. I think they do. Well, you know what? Maybe not. Because if it's Bisping, he's probably retiring. But if it's GSP, I think he will. Yeah, it remains to be seen. I mean, well, I think if GSP wins, Conor McGregor will get the call out. Yeah. Just yeah, throwing you it out there. You have an article up examining Dominic Cruz's return fight. The UFC just went nuts announcing fights last Wednesday. That was pretty awesome. Jimmy Rivera versus Dominic Cruz is one that I am pumped for. Well, those top the top four guys are fighting within a, within a month, almost a month and a half. Yeah, I like it. Amazing. Yeah. Sh Shamrock Sakuraba grappling. Now, come on, you know you know who I'm pulling for here. 
Saku. What a good old double wrist lock. That's what I want. Uh, it was actually Frank Shamrock that taught me an amazing way to set up the double wrist lock or the Kimura, as we call it in, the, in these parts here, uh, at a seminar uh, late 90s that he did up here in the greater Toronto region. Uh, it was a move that I was trying to trying to get on a bunch of people, and he actually showed me an awesome way how to set it up where you basically plant on the guy's arm or on his wrist. And you just pin it down, and you can yeah. start moving. And while he's fighting, what's he doing, Sean? Right? Oh, yeah. He's doing this. And then pop, underneath you go, turn around, break it. Oop, all right, sorry. Right? So I like Frank for that one there. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens over there with that grappling match with Sakuraba. Ole Sammy Ole says to fill up the card with former UFC guys. I think you all are overestimating how former UFC fighter Canadians would draw in an arena like that. UFC veteran doesn't have the clout that it once did. You used to be able to open up schools and stuff on the power of UFC veteran, Joe, and yep. get main event bookings regionally on the power of that. It doesn't carry that same weight anymore. Canada's a different beast. I mean, Larry Hammer's back on there. He's, he's saying, you know, still waiting on the full UFC Winnipeg card to be announced and for tickets to even go on sale. Yeah. He's bang on. He's right. That event's taking place in December. It's October. You know, but, you know, in, in, in my conversations, it's just been, it's been simple. It's just, you know, eight weeks out. When it's eight weeks out, six weeks out, the, the promotion machine will kick in. It'll here, eventually kick in. Here's their official card. Brazilian Noguera against American Jared Cannonier. Um, Italian Alessio against uh, United States. I, I'm not going to try to pronounce Bombo, Bomboche. There we go. <laughs> United States, uh, well, he's actually Cuban, uh, Marquez against Brazilian Vitor Miranda. And American Justin Scoggins against American Tim Elliott. What? Yeah. What? That's what it is, man. That's what it is. Have right? you ever seen the clip of Jer- Chris Jericho getting – he's throwing the Undertaker in the ring, and a fan says, go back to Toronto. And he looks back, and he goes, I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. Yeah. <laughs> that's, well, we that's, I feel like some the of these guys need to say that to the UFC matchmakers. Like, get some Canadians on this show. Well, Glover Teixeira and Sirkinoff are, are scheduled to be on that, that UFC on Fox 26 card anyways in Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, but – Sirkinoff, how many tickets is Misha going to sell in Winnipeg? He's not fighting in Toronto. Yes. Right? Like a lot of people, for some reason, think – I told you about the Dave story one time, but people think Canada is this small area. Yeah. It's a massive country. It's a massive country. So just because one guy is from one city doesn't necessarily mean he's got ticket sales in another city. So uh, it's going to be a challenge. Um, they are doing it at the at the MTS place, uh, which I've covered an event before there, the UFC event, uh, one of the pay-per-views they had there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. But they need to pick up the pace here. It is going to be a Fox card, so they'll probably it'll be top-heavy. Uh, but right now, the way it's looking doesn't really look top-heavy to me. A little bit of breaking news. Uh, I saw that Damon Martin has tweeted, the exclusive negotiating period between UFC and Fox has ended. The UFC can now field offers from any and all bidders on TV rights. Do you think it's going to be one broadcast station that's going to pick it up, or will it be split like between Fox and ESPN as an example? You know, that's tough to say, uh, especially considering – I think the UFC is fully going to explore all these options because when did they make this deal? 2011? 
Yeah, 2011, uh, they made the seven-year deal. Yeah. TV is in such a much different place than it was back then. Like, they didn't have their... They didn't have Fight Pass then. Uh, I couldn't really uh, turn on my TV and go straight to Netflix with one remote. Like, that. that's, that's in a... You know, they have that ability now. YouTube is even more expansive than it was then. So what do you do, though? Because, I mean, that's the, the reason go, why which, they, cre- which they created... Which brings the most money in... Yeah, of course. Yeah, no, but the thing is, what will that be? Because back when they created Fight Pass, before they created Fight Pass, when we used to have the media scrums with Dana, he would always tell me, uh, Ariel, Kevin Ioli, uh, John Morgan was there, uh, you know, the future is the internet. The future is the internet. The future is online. You know, gone are these forced cable packages. You're going to be able to pick and choose what you want to watch on your television via the internet. Uh, and lo and behold, Fight Pass was born, and lo and behold, the content that they had on there just kept growing and growing and growing and growing. But the commodity in the broadcast world right now will always be live content. Yes. You can only technically catch live – no, no, you, I shouldn't say only. Live content get, garners the highest ratings on television. Obviously, UFC events are live content. Anything prepackaged or anything that's older – isn't really going to garner ratings unless your name is Sean Rossap and you got some frat buddies and try and make money off them. But yeah, go ahead. So the thing with UFC and it's it is kind of parallel to WWE. A lot of people think WWE has their own network. Just put the content on there. Well, it's really hard to grow your base if you put all of your content on your own service that people already have to be interested in in order to order it. You can flip a channel and come across UFC. You can flip a channel and come across WWE. If they if UFC moved all of its content to a streaming service or moved it all to Fight Pass or yeah you can't just cash it on TV you can't go to B Dubs or something like that Buffalo Wild Wings and catch it on it's really tough that's why WWE when people say well they can move to the network well they can if they have to but it's very hard to grow that way so I think that's going to be a major major factor. Uh, Guys, please subscribe to us. iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube. Leave us a thumbs up. Please visit Fightful.com. We are still growing, especially on the MMA side. We want to bring on new names. We want to do new exciting things, and your support is crucial in that. Uh, Thank you all for sharing stories on Reddit, on Facebook, Twitter. That stuff really helps, too. We have buttons at the top of the page where you can share the stories very easily. Get the word out about Fightful. Help us grow. Help us uh, do new cool things. But you can follow me at Sean Ross App and follow Fightful at Fightful Online. Joe, what else you got? That's pretty much the basics there. Uh, you know, Nice two articles coming out this week. Back to my fun bets video uh, this weekend here. I'm going to have some uh, literally fun with that to determine what the best five props are going to be. Uh, the last one I did was the Japan show, and, and there was nothing. There was three. With this show, there are plenty, but I will pick the top five. Uh, for you guys and gals, I'd like to put a couple bucks down on the fights. I will find five good ones for you to consider uh, and hopefully put some really nice coin in your pocket. And then, of course, our post show on Saturday night. We'll talk about Bellator uh, as well as the UFC event. So it's going to be fun, and we'll all figure out whether or not Sean Rossap still has the same hairstyle. If he cuts it, if he's growing it, then we'll figure it out. This thing's a mess, my friend. I can't even do anything with it now. Guys, thank you so much. Until next time, we are out. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.